I think you can be content with your trajectory, but you should never be content with where you are on your path. Yeah. I think that um, what we say here is your comfort zone is where dreams go to die. Mm. So if you don't get out of your comfort zone, your dreams will die. I promise you. Trusted and proven. Pushing the limits on every shot. We never fear failure. Join us as we set ourselves against the odds, bringing you cutting-edge voices in every industry. This is the Ironclad Podcast. All right, so I'm here with Jeremy, who's, the, of course, the founder of Ironclad, and Noah Kite, who is the director of photography and the embodiment of the American dream. Uh, <laughs> do, do, you, do you consider yourself that, Noah? Yes. Okay, we're gonna get we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm really excited to talk to you guys because we're coming up on a decade that Ironclad has you know been in business, been making the the type of media, the type of videos that that you guys do. There's a lot of lessons learned. There's a there's a lot to reflect on, but there's a, also a lot to talk about where you want to be uh, and what you see, what the future holds. But I think the first thing. I feel like a good starting point is for people who maybe don't know the brand or, or are new to it. You know, tell us a little bit. Let's rewind and tell us a little bit about how Ironclad got started, Jeremy. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, it's been about 10 years now. We started with really just passion. I, I mean, from the beginning, my background is action sports. I had a what I call the clothing line, but it wasn't. It was basically iron-on T-shirts to represent a skate video that that we called Demolition Death. Anyway, it was more of a waste of time than anything. So yeah. I, 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 we started in action sports, and that was the passion. And, and one thing led to another. I went to film school, and I came back with these ideas that, you know, I'm going to make the world's best action sports films. And um, as we started working, we started working with local skate companies, and, and then they started getting bigger and bigger. And the demand was actually uh, the video became more in demand than the apparel. So at one point we just said, I, well, I told myself that I think it's time to just focus on video and forget the skate apparel and, and focus on uh, making films. And one thing led to another and we started hustling small clients uh, from my house. And then I brought on Danny Danny was uh, just getting out of film school. He was at uh, Full Sail. He was working at CBN, traveling the world, doing small nonprofit work. And one thing led to another. Um, and next thing you know, we have a list of clients. Then we bring on a couple of interns. Noah was one of them. And that's why nice. I thought it was important that he was in here. Yeah. He was our second intern behind Kevin, who's also still with us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Noah started at free internship and now he's traveling the world. DPing major productions. So, uh, no, I want to. I want to ask you about that. But do you remember what year it was you got started here? Uh, I believe I started interning in twenty. It was either the summer of twenty fourteen or the start of twenty fifteen. Okay, so so, so pretty like much six years. Yeah, so so more than half the run yeah. you've been a part of the team, and you know I kind of jokingly and we were talking beforehand about the you know talking about how you're the embodiment of the American dream, but you really you uh, you went to college, but you didn't finish right. You decided yeah. that you know, kind of your professional pursuits, was it that you you felt like college wasn't for you or that, you know, you felt like 
what they could offer you didn't need to excel. Yeah. So uh, I'll go back a little further. I took some like I've always been into photography. Yeah. Just as like starting like, growing up, I was my like everyone in my family is either a photographer, an artist, or some sort of like creative person, except for my dad, who's a construction worker. Shout out. Thanks, Dad, for watching. Um, but is he also a college dropout? Uh, I think he dropped out of high, high school. school. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't know though. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I took some courses in high school for film and video, and I just fell in love with doing video work. Uh, and I was, as soon as I was done with high school, I started looking for internship opportunities in the Hampton Roads area. Yeah. Um, cause I was going to college locally at ODU. Okay. Um, and then I applied at Ironclad for an internship. I came in for my interview and, uh, Danny and Kevin basically told me I could start interning as soon as possible. Okay. It wasn't um, much of an interview. No, it was, I came in and Danny and Kevin brought me to like the darkest part of the office, which yeah. back then it was really, really dark yeah. and musty. And uh, they sat me down and asked if I had any work, like a body of work to show them. I said no, because I didn't. You just took your shirt off and yep. said, and I don't have a body, body of work. Of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was no HR at the time. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, different world. Different yeah. world situation. We only have yeah. HR on Mondays now. <laughs> I think it moved to Wednesdays because of Mondays. Whatever day a bad thing gets said, we move it <laughs> yeah, to Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah, smart. Yeah, but uh, I, I like learned very quickly that ODU's film courses aren't like which hopefully they are now, but uh, at the time I was going there, they weren't all that I thought they would be. And I was learning yeah. faster here than I was there. Um, and I I very quickly outlearned most of the teachers at ODU that were teaching the film program. So I, I dropped out and just started working full time. Yeah. And, and, and I want to jump into some of the early work uh, in a sec, but I mean, Jeremy, that's not too dissimilar. I mean, obviously you went to LA film school and completed the program there, but you know, prior to that, you know, I think being an entrepreneur and starting your own business and not necessarily following the path of traditional four-year education, that, that was something that, that you kind of related to as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I, and honestly, film school is just a certificate. It's not a real, yeah. I mean, it's not even a real school, but yeah, it's not, it's never been that important to me, the, the four-year degree. In fact, now that we have 12 employees, I couldn't tell you who went where yeah. and who has what education. And, and some of them get kind of offended by it, but we don't base it on that paper. Yeah. I think that right now there's probably a lot of people who are entrepreneurs or in the entrepreneurial space or innovators or, or want to be, you know, at least that's kind of their long-term goal. How would you guys uh, rank the importance of a traditional education versus specialized skill sets that, you know, you know, you can get us, you know, you're a, no, a director of photography. So there's, that's a highly technical, it's highly creative, but also highly technical. How would you value developing those skill sets versus pursuing not arbitrary degrees, but maybe degrees that are, are you know, more in sort of like the traditional liberal education of, you know, you got to get a little humanity, you get a little of this. What, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Because a lot of people listening to this, they're living that tension right now. You know, yeah. I think it depends on what you want. You know, I think yeah. that that's the beauty of, of freedom, right? You can do whatever you want. And uh, some people want the four years to chill and figure it out and to live yeah. how they want to live. And, and that's not necessarily bad if your parents are paying. Yeah. I don't think you should finance that 
yeah. that curiosity. I don't think you should finance that curiosity. I think you're imprisoning yourself for 30 years when you do that. I think that you get a lot more on the job. And I think that uh, you can seek education like Noah did by hands-on learning. And I think that employers now care more about that, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're going to have the natural weeding process on big co- corporations. You have to have a four-year degree when they're getting thousands of applications. The four-year degree just weeds it out. Yeah. But once you're at a certain level, they can handpick you. Yeah. 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 And I, I always considered myself a hands-on learner, like personally. So I, I knew very quickly that like the formal educational program wasn't for me specifically. Yeah. Um, but I know, I mean, there's plenty of people I know that that is the route that like they don't sure. learn like hands-on and that's like if you're a doctor yeah. or a lawyer yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. for like what we're doing there isn't like a whole like it's it's much better to like get the hands-on experience because the what they teach in the classroom is never how it goes like on actual set yeah and and i think that there are you know this discussion opens up some larger discussions just about where you know what we value not just from an economic standpoint, but also a social standpoint of, you know, we're kind of, you see the current generation is in a student debt crisis. They've have more debt than any generation in history. And the cool thing about the ironclad story is it's sort of a microcosm of what could be looked at as sort of an anecdote for what we're seeing, where there's a lot of people who leave college with a lot of debt and they're, and they're disenfranchised by the job opportunities you know, your guys' story is you pretty much created the opportunity instead of went going to seek it out. I mean, yeah. do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, if, if we either created it or or we pursued it more yeah. than 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 I think that uh, we live in a world of a lot of op- there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, there's a lot of the demand mm. for content is insatiable. Is I think the CEO of, of Spotify said that, but but yeah. it's not only in the content world, but in anything right now, you know, and, and there, you can, you can take risks with relatively low consequence right now. And I think that that's, that's something that's overlooked by a lot of people. Yeah. And they let the narrative of their subconscious run their life. And I think the biggest thing that we decided was instead of letting life happen to us, we're going to happen to life, right? We're going to make it happen. And, and it's just a mindset shift. Yeah. I, I want to talk about some of the early work that kind of shaped the aesthetic and the brand that Ironclad is is known for. And I want to talk about the brand values. But first off, I, I do want to talk about kind of the look and feel. You know, I went back through the YouTube archives this morning of some of the early stuff that's still on the Internet. I, I, there's, you know, random. <laughs> There's random stuff. I think the earliest videos from like six years ago, and I remember, uh, you know, I actually, you know, was able to kind of have a, a little bit of a hand in just some of the, the, the voiceover script, but there was the earliest video that, that you guys have out in the YouTube channel, and you traveled to Hawaii to film, I believe it was uh, Pipe Masters, yep. right? Yep, that was Billabong Pipe Master. And, and watching it six years later, and knowing you guys and knowing how far you have come, I have to say, it still really holds up. And so, at, at least from, you know, like... Everything uh, but the Skrillex. Yeah, the, 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 it is like soundtracked by dubs, by a very intense dubstep, uh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, slaps, still slaps, right? <laughs> but, you know, going back to look at some of those early videos, what are some of the early projects that you guys felt was very formative in creating the sort of aesthetic that you carry today? I think I, there's, there's two there's two categories where we came from specifically myself and Danny 
You know, mine was action sports like that, yeah. right? Like the stuff you saw in Billabong. So anything that was happening in action sports, um, specifically the tech that they were using in there, the ultra slow motion phantom cameras, um, that stuff was major influential on, on me specifically. And then on Danny, he came from run and gun documentary filmmaking overseas. So the, the combination of documentary and, and uh, action sports combined. So anytime we had something in that realm, we would go all out to make it happen, specifically with that one. Spend the entire budget for the right camera, right? That was the biggest thing that made yeah. that piece. When we would have um, a documentary film st- uh, uh, storytelling piece, we would want the right locations. We would want to travel. We would want to go to these specific spots. And that led to us getting someone like the Navy SEAL Foundation, who then we would tell stories. Yeah. And then we brought that action sports filmmaking aspect to it, to the tactical realm. And that was something that hadn't happened in that world at that point. Uh, you know, the Navy SEAL Foundation was very unique in the fact that they were a brand inside of the tactical space. And the tactical space was primarily funded by government, which is very slow to adapt, slow to have style. And we were able to apply some style to that. And from there, that really is what sparked a lot for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you guys start as sort of, uh, you know, upstart, kind of guerrilla doing action sports stuff, kind of whatever kind of client work that you felt like you could hustle up in the early days. Suddenly the client list gets longer, your style starts evolving and you start working with the Navy SEAL Foundation, right? And I feel like, you know, kind of going back to the archives of some of that videos, that's where I noticed another sort of pivot. And again, this is sort of an outsider's perspective, but I want you guys to speak to that a little because it seems like around that time, the instead of you guys, uh, you know, being the primary force that's like influencing clients creatively, it seems like at that point, really the clients started influencing you guys in terms of some of the values that you started incorporating corporately, you know, like not just like a seal like approach to production, but excellence, uh, integrity, you know, the 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 things that you guys started demonstrating as an institution kind of mirrored that of some of these clients in the military space that, that you guys started working with. Tell me a little bit about that. Was it working with them and kind of witnessing that firsthand that kind of reiterated the importance of those type of corporate incorporating those corporate values? Yeah. I think that if you want to walk with lions, you better be a lion. Yeah. And, and I think that when you're working with people that hold themselves to a higher standard and that are the best in the world, you're inspired to be the best in the world. It's just, uh, it's one of those natural progressions. And I think that we realized quickly that the men and women we were working with, whether it was with Navy SEAL Foundation or whether it was with Under Armour or any other world-class entity operated at a high level. And how often in life do you get to learn from the best in the world? Yeah. And And they're expecting you to operate at a high level too. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to our learning style, right? Like none of us are formally educated. Uh, You know, I, when we say film school, I, I still don't even really, you know, you don't have to try, but anyway, the, the hands-on learning that you can get from, real deal hard chargers real deal best in the world at what they do and you couldn't ask for more so for us it became something that uh inspired us and then became a staple for us yeah 
And, you know, recently, I know, Jeremy, you went through an exercise where you actually articulate some of these values because they've been really evolving since probably around that time Yeah, where it wasn't just, like I said, maybe early on, it was like you were saying, if you want to hang with these guys, you got to carry yourself a certain way or you're not going to, they probably won't get the respect. I mean, if you look at some of the videos, these guys, these are bad dudes. Well, here's the thing. They have way more faith in you than you have in you. So I think like... (laughs) Well, what happened is, yeah, yeah. We, I've we, got like, some stories about we that. We did one where, like, they'll be like, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to climb over that, jump on this, jump into that pool. You just climb that way with that camera and you're good. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to do what? Noah got strapped in skydiving yeah, I, with a belt. Yeah, yeah we, were, we were filming an event down at the oceanfront. Um, and they were, uh, it was this thing where they would um, strap guys like amputees, uh, veterans that had unfortunately like lost some limbs and stuff like that they would throw them out of airplanes with another guy yeah. strapped to them that they could parachute down and land on the beach um i forget the name of what's the name jumping of the for a purpose jumping for a, yeah jumping for a purpose uh and i was capturing the event so i went out to the airstrip got on the plane and when i got there the guy was like do you want to do you want to jump out and i was like of course i want like that sounds awesome yeah yeah and he was like okay cool and i was like well i have all this stuff with me he was like okay just put it on the front of you and I'll just like figure out a way to strap you. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, we'll figure and, it out up in the air. Don't and worry he about grabbed it. a rope and like, just kind of like tucked it through all the loops that connect me to him and just tied a, a quick knot and like gave me a good like tug. And to make sure I wasn't like completely loose, we got on the uh, airplane and then mid air, he was like, so when I, uh, when I, when I pull the parachute, I'm going to have to loosen the knot I pulled earlier. Uh, that way I can operate the parachute. And I was like, um, Okay. And he's like, he's like, hey, if we if we fall in the ocean, you swim, I'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, he's like, just just try to land. Just save yourself. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm yeah. a Navy Throw SEAL. Throw your camera I'll down first, fine. break the surface tension, and then just swim. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. It's like, okay, sure. I wasn't worried about that anyways, but I'm yeah. going for it. Yeah. And uh, midair, he loosened the thing, and I felt like the the half a second that I'd free-falled until the rope caught me, I thought I, thought I was going to be swimming. Yeah. And just on that note, uh, we this is just a funny it, We've lost uh, three insurance companies uh, because they'll see a behind the scenes thing and they'll drop yeah. us. Yeah. So, I mean, we could be paying six figures to these guys a year yeah. and they Without actually call incident. it. Well, yeah. they call and fire us. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. happened three times with major brands, yeah. you know, so. Well, I, I want to talk about, you know, I, I want to get into a couple more of these. I want to hear about your, your best field stories and, and your worst because those are the most fun, but you know, uh, kind of along those lines, you know, to, to talk about where ironclad has been up to now, because the work really speaks for itself. But what a lot of people don't see is the intentionality that goes into it. Right. And, you know, Jeremy, you went through this exercise recently where you put pen to paper on some of these values. I'm just going to read a couple. Yeah, if yeah. That's cool. And, and I kind of want y- you both to respond of, you know, why those were the values that were selected and two, what is the value of going through an exercise like this and you know, what's it like working on a team where, you know, these things are at the forefront, you know, things like putting team first, uh, discipline, the idea of duty, obviously integrity, respect, excellence, you know, never wanting to settle for, for things that aren't up to a certain standard wisdom, being future focused, being adaptable, this idea of, of freedom that you're carrying into everything. Tell me about, why it was so important to put those on paper. And also, Noah, from your perspective, being a member of a team that these are at the forefront, where yeah. you know going in, everything that you do is informed by these values. 
So Jeremy, start by kind of just briefly, like why you wanted to go through that exercise. Yeah. Why would you feel like it was worth your time? I think that when you're, you got your head down and your heart charging and you're going and going and going, it's very easy to think, well, everyone's understands what's happening or why yeah. everyone understands the why. And I think when you're small, real small, it's very easy for that to always be on the forefront. I think it's very easy for people to see the new opportunities and the new visions and the, and the, and everything that's happening. I think when you get bigger, um, and, and everyone's getting busy and, and moving, it's harder to articulate those things just through natural progression, just through a day to day. So it became to a point with, with, with us as we approached our 10 year and, and as we were growing to really make sure that it was not just something that's always in my head or Danny's head or even Noah's who's been here so long, but that everybody knows from the time we hire them to the time that they're 10 years in and also our clients know and our customers know or anybody who wants to collaborate with us or our contractors, they know where we stand and why we stand and that we can align with those things. So we got to a point where it was, let's sit down and put pen to paper and really identify what those things are, Yeah, why we do it, how we do it, and um, have something that we can always center ourselves on. No, what, what is it, you know, like being a part of a team that really is focused on being a team? Like this isn't, yeah. you know, the, 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 the word team is used intentionally there. And obviously for people that are familiar with the, the world of special operators and Navy SEALs, you know, their team, they call themselves team guys. You yeah. know, what's it like being a part of a team that that concept is core to the identity of who you are and the products that you make? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really apparent uh, especially like when we have to hire like subcontractors and stuff like yeah. I they always mention like how apparent it is that we are like well oiled and we all work together really well yeah. um, and it always reminds me that like it's it's really refreshing to like come to work knowing that everyone else is also doing everything they can to like push like the wheel forward and yeah. like keep moving it on and on um, and like knowing that like some like kind of what you were saying like you never want to forget like like what those things are, but sometimes like it is easy to like just get into a rhythm and like, oh, sure. everyone's doing this. Everyone's like feeling the same way uh, until we like do like a shoot and like everyone's on set and then there's some people that are subcontracting and then they end up getting caught in like the wheel yeah. and they find their groove in the team as well. And they're like, every every shoot, all the subcontractors we've ever hired have always said like how cool it was to see our team like working together and see like that everyone knows exactly what they were supposed to do and like where they were supposed to be at. Um, yeah. I mean, they leave energized. Yeah. I think that in our world specifically, it's a lot of artists, a lot of um, very passionate people, but I think it's a lot of focused on their vision and it's hard to be a contractor. I, I honestly, I think the, the freelance DPs, freelance directors, freelance editors, uh, G and E sound guys, it's tough, man. Yeah. Like these are 15 hour days, 16 hour days. You're traveling nonstop. I couldn't imagine having to work like that and be passionate with people I don't know or people that I may or may not align with people I may or may not like day in and day out. That is a hard gig. I respect them for it. Um, I think we're very lucky on our end to have a team that shares those values and continues to push themselves. And honestly, we weed out the ones that don't align like that yeah. you know, naturally. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to fire them. We just push them so hard that they quit, Yeah, which is good yeah. because it's hard to fire people. Well, I, but, but again, <laughs> yeah, Thanks, again, Katie. that goes back to, <laughs> that kind of goes back to 
you know, this ethos that was kind of built around the ethos of, of you, you know, some of your main clients, like, you know, for the Navy SEALs, it's like, if you're out, you got to go ring the bell and yeah. then you're out, you know? And so I think that's a really cool thing to bring to the table because it really, it empowers people. It's like, oh, kind of whether I make it or not, it's in my hands, no one else's. Yeah. Like there aren't, you know, there's sort of this degree of self-reliance that goes into that kind of work ethic. And we say that still every end of the year review, every, every uh, time we hire someone mm -hmm. where you want to be here is 100% in your hands. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, Kevin, Kevin's a prime example of that. <clears throat> he also started as an intern. He came in as an intern, this new Movi device came out. He came in and campaigned to buy this Movi device. He wanted to buy this thing. I'm like, whatever. All right. And then we sent him to training. It became one of the reasons why we got some of our larger clients. Then we got an Under Armour gig because they wanted the fast guy with the Movi. Then yeah. Under Armour became a major client of ours. And then Kevin said, hey, I want to learn how to do brand marketing. He's doing that. It's just a prime example of taking the step and going and going. Noah, the same way. He wanted to be a DP. Yeah. And, Jeremy thought uh, I wanted not, to be a director at first. That's not how you started. Yeah. And he's a terrible editor. Awful. So that was one of those things that I know you said they have to ring the bell. We actually rung the bell for him. Yeah. I tried one. my hardest and yeah, the just, bell was rung for yeah. me very early he's, on. He's awful. Yeah. Don't let him edit. <laughs> but he's very good DP. Yeah. Well, you know, it, you know, 10 years in, there's a lot to reflect on, but I, I want to start off, uh, you know, for each of you, what video, what project really stands out in your own mind as one that is, you know, meaningful that you like to show people and, and that, that has like a really kind of like interesting story for you individually, not just which one are you most proud of, but which one is the most meaningful for you in hindsight? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of, I have two really this uh, the compassion stories that we've told are really compelling yeah. and um, very touching in, in every sense of the term. Um, and then also a lot of the uh, like early Under Armour stuff that we did for the run camps, mm -hmm. um, just based off of like how grueling they were to actually capture yeah. and also the final outcome and like seeing like how it turned out, um, like based off of what we all had to go through and then seeing the final product and how like all the hard work paid off. I think both of those like projects or like groups of projects yeah. are like some of my favorite pieces of work that we've done so far. Yeah. Those under besides Armour the Navy SEAL foundation, that stuff's always fun, but we yeah. already talked about that. Yeah. The under Armour ones were literally designed to be the most hellish places on earth. One was yeah. the highest point in the United States and one was the lowest point in the United States. So one was in death Valley, one was in Colorado somewhere. So those were pretty grueling. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, there, I, I think of like a piece that I wasn't necessarily like the end product is fine. I like it, but the, the production itself was the hardest production we've done. And I actually went down with heat exhaustion It was for six hour and, and it was in record heat in San Diego and it was a nine day production. And I think day six or day seven, I started puking on set. I started, I was like fainting, like seeing stars. Uh, and the team actually had to do the last three days without a director mm -hmm. Um, that was a tough, tough production, very tough production. Um, it was our biggest one to date back then. It was our yeah. biggest one and, uh, it took a lot out of us. So that was a really, that was a game changer for us because of what we learned out of it. Not, I mean, it wasn't that we made all this money on it. We, we in fact, we invested a lot in, in that one, but it was the fact that we, we invested ourselves and we had to really, really perform. That one was huge. And then I, man, 
some of these these Navy SEAL Foundation pieces that don't go out that nobody sees. Yeah. Those ones are the the biggest yeah. for me. And that's where your everything culminates into your performance, how you can handle yourself, how you perform when the stakes are high and when the um when the end product is very important, you yeah. know. Uh, those are big, but I think the Eagle series that we just finished has been oh, awesome. Yeah, those are we traveled really the world for it. Yeah. Uh, and interviewed some of the most crazy people. Cool. When I say crazy, very cool people and just powerful, powerful stories. It's called Eagle beyond. That's, that's, uh, we're three episodes in we're rolling out the next episode on the 25th. What is the, what's the sketchiest a shoot's ever gotten? You guys go to a lot of dangerous places. <laughs> you hang out with a lot of cool but sometimes you know I, I say dangerous people honestly they that's probably the best way to describe <laughs> like some of these cats are just I mean not that they're putting you in danger but like you're doing it's not, it's not like you're going to shoot you know a commercial at the you know at the doctor's office or something yeah it's no you're out in the wild things are going on what's the sketchiest that it's ever there's it's ever gotten those eagle shoots had a lot of the eagle like, shoots there, sketchy moments well there, where there's we, we can break it down into categories there's firearms animals or or uh or probably like uh geographical locations i the one yeah. animal side kevin we were fi- we were filming for this foundation called the warrior dog foundation they're yeah. a great foundation run by mike ritlin retired navy seal awesome guy takes in dogs that have been banged up shot but but just for just for reference these dogs are not like i know they dogs. have ptsd yeah and, and these dogs are are barely dogs they're closer to like a jungle cat yeah they're trained they they're trained they're tra- to take lives they're trained yeah. to to yeah. to do a lot and um they're frightening animals anyway kevin's running with this this big movie in his hand and the dog gets <laughs> triggered by him and just goes and takes off and he starts sprinting and just kevin goes oh shit and <laughs> and all of a sudden the dog i mean the dog is chasing him he's running and uh mike Last minute snags the dog, doesn't attack him. But it, that was that was pretty sketchy. You know, in the, you know, we're just film. We're we're doing our reel in here, and Danny, who could tell you this story, but we're filming uh, with Daniel Defense in the swamps of Florida, and we had a helicopter and a chase helicopter. So the chase helicopter had a camera mounted on it, and then the helicopter had a bunch of operators uh, on there with firearms doing live fire drills out out of it. And I'm in the chase helicopter and we got radios and Danny's planted on the helicopter. He's going to, he's going to plant on it and, and carabiner on once he gets there. Well, we didn't have comms or anything. And once again, these guys just think we know how to do things. And (laughs) he goes running and sits on the helicopter and the helicopter starts taking off and he realizes there's no strap in or carabiner for him. He has a red camera in one hand and the thing starts taking off and there's, you can't sit inside these. You have to sit on the outside. So he's sitting on the outside and he just like, he just links his arm on there and films in, uh, he almost fell off for real over the swamps. What a, um, what a way to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no, this was one. We almost killed a G&E guy. Oh, so this is, I still, we still don't know if. Oh, he might be dead now, yeah. but we <laughs> almost killed we him. And, he almost he died immediately. He may have died a slow death of poison after yeah. this. We're do, for people who don't know G&E. Uh, Grip electric. electric. So the guys so, in charge of all the lights and cabling and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So we, oftentimes you hire those guys, yeah. uh, freelance. So we had this shoot in, te- 
in Houston, Texas with the Houston SWAT team for Vortex Optics. And the Houston SWAT team had access. They're basically a military unit. Yeah. I mean, they have tanks and everything. Yeah. Anyway, we go to this abandoned, uh, this abandoned paper mill. And in it, they give us this big safety brief, and they're like, "Listen, no one's been here for decades. It's terrible. Make sure you're careful. Be, you know, be safe. There's it might no electricity. Be haunted. Yeah. It might be haunted. There might be bad things." I'm, I'm talking literally a hundred thousand square foot building. I mean, this place is monster. The whole floor is green slime. You can't see anything. It's green slime from years and years of of rain and and, yeah. and rot. And the elevator shafts, because there's like an inch of, of green slime on the floor, the elevator shafts are completely filled with water. But the water is just above the, the concrete, so it you can't tell there's a it, drop-off. It looks just like any other two-inch puddle in the rest of the facility. And there's no electricity in the whole facility. And the lighting guy is carrying, he's got two LED lights in his hands. And all of a sudden, uh, we're like, where the hell is the lighting guy? You know, the, he's supposed to bring these lights. Where's he at? We're trying to radio him. We can't get a hold of the lighting guy. We're like, we can't find the lighting guy. He All of a sudden, we hear someone scream. <laughs> and uh, he gets out, and he's he's soaking wet. He's soaking wet. We see him from three, doors, th- three stories down, and we're shining lights down there. He's screaming. He was walking, and just all of a sudden, just, whoosh, just got sucked. He said he thought he went straight to hell. And he went straight in. <laughs> And we shined our lights, and there was this cutout in the slime of his body. And uh, he went completely in. He could have hit his head and died. Was, we would have never found there him. There was a bunch of rebar in the cesspool that oh, he fell man. into. We feel like uh, it was gross. we saw him that night to pay him uh, and because we had to buy the lights that he ruined. But then he said he was just going to drink a case of beer and hope it killed any bacteria in him. <laughs> that got him to assist him. But we, I, honestly... We've never heard from him since to give his final yeah, invoice. Yeah. Well, we'll see, we'll Truly see. don't know what happened on yeah, that one. It's like that episode of The Simpsons where they're filming the McBain movie in that <laughs> yeah. old factory. Do you remember that? And yeah. like, there's like toxic sludge that's going to come boiling. But it they're like, don't worry. Like that. We have goggles. And McBain gets swept up <laughs> in a wave of sludge. And he's like, my eyes, the goggles do nothing. You know, like, yeah. It, so it, It's bad. So you guys have had some kind of harrowing. Sh- all of your shoots are, are, are to a degree harrowing and that's been a big part of the brand but the brand's evolving and you know you're kind of moving into the next chapter that's part of what these podcasts are and you know i think listeners notice like sort of this evolving format to really you know change the way people you know consume content from ironclad i want to before we go to the next segment here uh i want briefly you guys to kind of cast a little vision for what you see as the future for not just how people consume content, you know, but what is Ironclad's role? How do you want to continue to communicate your values to serve clients, but also create content uh, for people that align with those values? I mean, you right now, Jeremy, for people that are listening and not seeing the video, you're wearing a shirt that says Iron Sharpened Iron. That, that's, that's this ethos that runs through. Noah's wearing a Coors Banquet shirt that I think he probably got from a Coors Beer Catalog from Coors Points. Body by Banquet. That, honestly, Coors Box. When you ask, if you ask Noah what his dream client is, what his dream sponsor is, it's Coors Banquet. It is the uh, Golden Colorado. Anyone who who can only grow facial hair on his lip, 
yeah. should be sponsored. Do you by. just rub a little course on there every night just well, to keep like, it growing? Yeah, as opposed to water. It's like my yeah. fertilizer. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it just it just leaches a, yeah. a weird synthetic testosterone <laughs> right and, into and your upper the upper only upper. core shirts he has are, are earwax colored, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have one that's black, but I don't know where it's at. So this yeah. is this that's, is That's all, all they offer now. in the catalog where yeah. you like cut out you know, UPCs the same, from the back the same of color cases. of their beer. Yeah. A great uh, golden waxy <laughs> color. It's the same color it turns your bodily. Yeah, color. your yeah. liver is that same <laughs> yeah, color too. Yeah. Uh, so, but I do. But I'll, I mentioned the shirt just to say, yeah. like the the values aren't changing, but the strategy is evolving. To yeah. Talk a little bit about what the future looks like, and then I want to get uh, to some kind of to to the to another segment that people are going to hear a lot more from in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing, like you noted earlier, is is we've been so influenced by the people we work with. Right, we, we've worked with the best in the world. And it's inspired us to grow and personally and professionally. Um, and the way we create content, the quality of content and the messaging with our content. So our commitment as a brand has been to create the world's best content that ultimately represents our values in all aspects. Right. So uh, we want to be able to we learn it. We live it and now we want to give it right. And that's what we're going into now is this new phase of ironclad is to be able to give the practices, the principles and the values that we we hold dear um, in all aspects of our messaging. So you'll be seeing more behind the scenes stuff on how we how we practice these things and we see more um, social interaction and ultimately creating more films and series that can promote those values. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Noah, about what you'd like to see kind of the, the future of, of Ironclad? Yeah, I mean, I think we're from that perspective is like what our out facing, outward facing, like what we're sh like, what we're doing um, and also like just moving towards more content that is compelling and telling the story of all of the, the things that Jeremy was talking about earlier yeah. um, and just being a leader in the in the original content arena as well. Yeah. yeah, definitely narrative. We're moving more yeah. into any type of film work, uh, less 30 second ad, more series and film. Are you ready to go into the fray? The Ironclad team specializes in developing films, online series, and content for the world's greatest brands, organizations, and outlets. Now we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and most dangerous places on earth. Go behind the scenes with the world's most cutting-edge filmmakers in Ironclad's new video series, Into the Fray. Each installment takes you on some of the world's most exotic locations to meet adventurers, inventors, warriors, and real-life heroes who've dedicated themselves to forging new paths. We utilize some insane equipment and some insane storytelling tactics to make these things happen and ultimately bring you stories that haven't been told before. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at This Is Ironclad to make sure that you never miss an episode. And remember, new installments drop every Friday afternoon. Adventure beckons. Will you come? For this section of the podcast, guys, I want to do a little bit more rapid fire, you know, and just for a little context, a little behind the the curtain for people who are new to the podcast. I know the, the audience is definitely growing and, and, and this is a big part of the future of Ironclad. You know, we want we want this. The vision, I think, is to not only for people to learn people's stories and kind of be inspired by people who are elite performers, who are operators, who are entrepreneurs, who are doing things a little bit different, not only to hear their stories, but make it really practical. You know, the part of ironing sharpen iron is you, you got to allow the two pieces of iron to hit. You know, you got to be challenged by it. Right. 
And so this is a segment that, you know, you guys have such incredible access to people who have done amazing, like legit amazing things, yeah. you know, have literally saved the world. And I'm not saying that figuratively. I mean, there are, there are, you know, I know you've talked to people who have been involved with stories that people might see in the news, the Bin yeah. Laden raid and things like that. It probably shouldn't say, there's probably, you know, restrictions on what even could be alluded yeah. to. Right. But the point is when people are in the hot seat here, and they've been willing to kind of share their story. This is an opportunity. This podcast is an opportunity to also kind of pick their brain about some things that if 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 someone is listening and they aspire to be an entrepreneur, if they aspire just to be successful in their life, just to you know incorporate a new philosophy from people who have taken some risk and come out on the other side. This is a section where we want to kind of you know be able to pick the brains of those type of people. So I'm going to shoot a couple questions to your guys this way. And I want you guys to answer sort of rapid fire style. You, you can be thoughtful, but we have a couple that we want to get through. And I want to start off. I want to start off negative because negative is always more fun than right positive. On. We'll get positive. But what's the worst advice you've ever received? Yeah, I think mine is more of a broad. It's a, it's a, the advice is, is, is like a broad idea that I've been, that's been preached to me by multiple people, by leaders that I've, that I've, been under or by um teachers or you know schooling in general the church whatever and it's just follow the route of the rest right like mm. follow this route for to get there and and there's not one route you know there's not and each person is wired differently and you know we even may allude to this in the real it's 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 not the easy route that gets done and, and in, in fact, the easy route, in my opinion, leads to sadness and, and not fulfillment. And I don't think we should seek immediate happiness. But what, what I do think is that we should seek purpose. And I think that the, the thought of um, take this route because it's what you should do or take this route because it's the way things are, that advice has been preached to me time and time again by so many different people. And... Um, I think that that's ultimately why the state of the world's in the way it is. I think yeah. that's why the depression rates are where they are and, and the lack of fulfillment is where it is. What, what's, what's, you know, and it might just be someone telling you counter to that. Hey, carve your own path. But what's, what's the best advice you've ever received? I, I got one. I, you know, I was, I was interviewing Dr. Cooper from the Cooper Clinic. And Dr. Cooper was a, was, was a doctor for the, all the presidents. In his office, he had, he had, Photos of every president, him with all of them. When Cheney had his heart attack, Obama, all these guys. And he's 97 years old. And he sat there with me and he talked and talked and talked. And I said, man, I really appreciate what, the time you gave me, the insight you've given me. And he said, and he had this old used Bible on his desk, all these things. And he said, the Lord doesn't say to retire at 50 and watch TV. And he's like, I've been put on this earth with this mind and I intend to use it until I don't have it anymore. And it wasn't advice as, as much as it was a, a challenge almost to man, you know, that much is given much is required. Yeah. And, and that really did. I mean, honestly, from that day, it changed my perspective on things. So that was really big. And once again, it came from someone who has lived it and has just forced his own way and made an impact. If you guys could roll back the clock, 10, 15, yeah, let's say 10 years. Because that, you know, that this is, you're kind of reflecting on the last decade. If you could roll back the clock 10 years and tell yourself one thing other than 
you know, invest in Google stock. Yeah, I was going to say whatever. Amazon. Yeah. 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 Uh, what would, what would, what would you tell yourself? Try harder. Yeah. Push harder. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say exercise discipline now. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you guys find that as you got older, it was more difficult to instill those patterns than it, you would have if it was, if you had been more disciplined and tried harder when you were younger? I feel like I just like regretted not trying harder. Like the more I started learning things like that about my craft is like, I just feel like I wish I would have done more earlier. That way I could have been better suited to do like more now as opposed to trying to like catch up. Yeah. Or like not catch up, but like just trying yeah. to be ahead of the game. Yeah. I think it's kind of the butterfly effect, you know, it's a lot of the things that happen, happen to inspire us to do different things now and act better now. But I, I agree. I think, uh, if you're not prepared for the opportunities when they come, you won't be able to really seize them. And, and I think that if I live my life for a very long time without discipline, yeah. a very long time. So having that, uh, gives you opportunity, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, or it allows you to optimize on opportunity. So for me, it would be practice at discipline and practice it weekly. If there's someone listening to this right now who is young and, uh, you know, wants to kind of be where you guys are now, right. They've, they've seen the journey that you guys been on the, the success that you've had. Uh, what, what would you tell them? I mean, they, they maybe because I feel like a lot of people don't know the starting point. They know where they want to be. They don't know how to get there. Well, what, what, what would you tell that person? I would say to anybody trying to get to where they want to be. Every second you rest, there's a hundred people that are younger and better than you going for your goal. Mm. And and every second you spend on Instagram scrolling or you sit on your t- on your couch and watch TV, there's someone younger and better trying to get there and you have to make the most of it because <clears throat> the opportunity is now and it will go. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would say to anyone. I would just say, just start doing it as opposed to thinking about how you're going to try. Yeah. Just, I mean, just start carving that path and eventually you'll figure out like what works and what doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, it's just a learning experience. It's yeah. not really a, a, a crushing defeat as it is a, a learning experience. So just go after it and F- fighting that paralysis by over analysis yeah. that yep. really cripples yeah. a lot of people, yeah, especially the YouTube generation. There's a lot of information out there and it's hard yeah. to figure out which information is a good information. You can sit there and watch a hundred videos about how to get in shape yeah. without get, actually getting in shape. Finally, guys, one, one more, one more thing. You're, you're 10 years into this. When did you feel like you made it or have, or have you even had that feeling yet? I personally haven't had that feeling. I haven't either. I mean, I, do you think that's a good yeah. thing? Do, I mean, what, what, where, how do you live in the tension between sort of complacency and, and contentment? Because you don't want to be discontent, but you also don't want to be Just, complacent. I think you can be content with your trajectory, but you should never be content with where you are on your path. Yeah. I think that um, what we say here is your comfort zone is where dreams go to die. Mm. So if you don't get out of your comfort zone, your dreams will die. I promise you. I, I mean, the, the goal is just to, to learn as much as you can and just be the best at what you do. And I don't think there's there's an end to what you can learn. So I don't think there's ever a place where I'll be where I can comfortably say that I've, I've figured it all out. I'm yeah. content with where I'm at. 
when you're on the road as much as us and you are in every scenario under the sun from freezing cold conditions to uber hot conditions in death valley you want batteries that will perform for you for us it's core it's the only option and they have a new battery out called the Hypercore Neo. I'm going to have to read the bullet points on this thing because it's so crazy. But I promise you, we've used it in the field and it's transformed the game. It's less battery swap outs, more durable, more options than ever before. So it's TSA PreCheck, it's RFID, it's rubberized. It's got a USB so you can charge your phone, you can plug in accessories, you can do anything from there. It's got hibernation mode on it. It's a high current delivery, which is a new feature. And ultimately, it communicates with the camera. This battery is insane. Core has always taken care of us. We're ironclad and we're core driven. Another, you know, kind of vision for this podcast is to allow people who are passionate to express their passion and their opinions on something that they they really feel strongly about. Uh, You know, that can be kind of all over the board. But, you know, Jeremy, as you guys were recently kind of going through this exercise of defining some of these brand values and things like that, you know, you, you kind of stumbled on sort of like a really brief part of the mission statement is defending freedom through content. Um, and I think people can understand, well, obviously they've been listening to you for the last hour, talk about, you know, your, uh, approach to content and kind of the excellence. So I think they understand that, but the idea of freedom, right? Like what you guys do sort of cuts through some of the noise. We're in a really politically divisive time. There's a lot of vitriol and not to be like overly like partisan. I mean, it comes from both sides, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough time to really grapple with the idea of freedom because if right now, a lot of people's perception of freedom is, well, anybody can go and say anything as mean as they want. It's a, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing the double-edged sword of all this, but you've made it your mission to defend that, to defend freedom, to defend, you know, the, the values that have shaped where we are culturally, where we are as a society for the sound off segment, I want to hear you sound off on your idea of freedom and why it's something that you want to dedicate your careers to defending. Yeah, I think uh, I'll start off. I think <clears throat> I almost phrase it where what's the antithesis of freedom? It's 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 chains in prison, right? And 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 when I look at where people can go, it's it's bound by you know, financial chains bound by um, mental, physical, emotional, all these aspects, right? So everything that we do, we want to make sure that we are, uh, once again, living by example and then giving the thought of freedom, giving the thought of breaking those chains. So inside of our our, 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 our um, organization, we want to provide uh, – financial freedom for our people. We want to empower their, their thoughts and their visions and their dreams. We want to empower growth. And so that they can then give that to their families and give those types of thoughts and ideas that the sky is the limit, right? That's complete physical, emotional freedom, um, and, and financial freedom. What we want to do for the people that consume our content, you're looking at people that, that are consuming this, the, 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 the content rates, the consumption of content right now is, is, is insane. And it's only getting more. And the content that is out there is, is, is bad stuff, man. It's the number one drug, you know? Yeah. And, and if we're going to create the number one drug, we want to make it the multivitamin. So we want to, um, we want to be thought provoking and we want to inspire people to do great things. We want to bring in great talent that that's living these ideas. And we want to continue 
to promote these ideas and preserve and defend the ideas of freedom and the, the lifestyle of freedom and really create it inside the community. And that's been the biggest thing for us. And uh, it's, it's kind of a bold statement. It's kind of a statement that many people could say, well, you don't have, you're not willing to risk your life to do these things. And I think that everyone's called for something different. And, yeah. and I think that once again, too much is given, much is required. And we live in a society where we've given a lot, we're, we're given a lot and we're given a lot because of the sacrifice of others. And it's our duty to ultimately promote these ideas and this lifestyle. Tell me where that sense of duty comes from, because it seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of people who, you know, their sense of duty is either to themselves, the bank account to I mean, it'd be just as easy for the talent that you guys have in this building to do something like, you know, and this isn't me trying to, you know, make any commentary about them, but do, you know, BuzzFeed funny videos and, you know, things that are going to get a lot of eyeballs, draw a lot of clicks you know, go into that, you know, fuel that machine of people just sitting in front of screens all the time. And, um, but you're choosing to do things a different way, a harder, a harder way in order to preserve something that you feel strongly about. Where does that sense of duty, where does it originate from? You know, I think it originates from a few things. I think the more we experience the sacrifice of others, the more we experience the stories that that have led people to where they are, um, the more we get to work with the world's best and to see what they have put on the line to get to where they are, we want to promote that and we want to um, push that agenda. So from organizations like the Navy SEAL Foundation all the way to the Under Armors, um, people give a lot to get to where they are and to create opportunity for others. And we want to grab the torch and continue to run with it. Hey everyone, before we take off today and the show ends, we wanted to leave you with a special bonus segment and let you meet some of the team behind the work that Ironclad has been creating for the last 10 years. So recently, Kevin Keller, Ironclad's Movi operator and the head of vendor relations, Danielle Blevins, a filmmaker on the team, and Brian Crouch, a post-production coordinator, sat down with Noah to explain some of the best advice that they've ever heard. The team at Ironclad works really hard to make each other better. One of the mottos is iron sharpens iron, but it's also part of the heart of this podcast. So before the show closes out, we wanted to ask some of the team, what is the best advice that they've ever heard that they'd want to pass along to you? Here's what Kevin, Danielle, and Brian had to say. And this advice could probably get you in trouble, <laughs> but it is to say yes to everything. Um, and kind of like one of the ironclad mantras, right, is like, we're always ready. You know, we like, we're always there. We're, we're willing and able and if you can be the person who is always saying yes to yes, I can do that. I can do that. Not sure I know how to do this, but I can learn and I can do that too. Then you'll create a rep for yourself to be the guy that can get it done yeah. no matter what. Um, like with the movie, this new piece of technology had come out. No one knew how to use it. And I was like, I'll try to learn it. <laughs> and I've been using that. I, I barely ever touch a camera with my bare hands anymore. Yeah. I only ever use the movie. For anyone that doesn't know either or haven't seen any of the behind the scenes stuff of Kevin operating the movie, it is very impressive. Um, especially, especially watching him run. He's the fastest camera operator I've ever seen. But Side of the Mississippi. <laughs> this, east of the Mississippi, that's for sure. It's like, okay, to me, good advice is compounded on top of advice you actually already know deep down in your heart. 
So like you can really feel when something is good advice because when you hear it, it really resonates with something deep inside yeah. of you. And so um, one time I had, um, actually it was a pastor and he told me, um, he just, I think noticed in me that I'm a pretty passionate person. Um, <laughs> and if you know me for an amount of time, then you might know that. Um, and he just sort of gave me the advice, you know, I really think that you should always follow whatever ignites your heart with a fiery passion, like let that be the thing that drives you. Yeah. And um, it was really, it was great advice because at that point in my life, so many doors had opened for me and it was always because I had just done the next right thing and I had always just done the thing that um, made me excited to move forward. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like the best advice that I, the best advice I've ever received and the best advice that I would give other people is just do that thing that you know is the next right thing for you. Whatever ignites your heart with fiery passion, do that thing. And go for that thing because that is going to be the path where the doors just open and yeah. they just, uh, everything just falls into place. Yeah. Probably the best advice I've gotten is like, um, don't get upset or let things that you can't change affect you. You have to realize that you can't change them. Like only worry about the things you can change. Um, and I'm, there's more eloquent ways of putting it. But, you know, especially in my past, I, you would just, you would, I would just dwell on things that I had no control over. And once I realized I had no control over them and I couldn't change anything about them, everything got a little bit easier. It's like, well, what can I do instead of getting upset about something or getting down about something? I can do something. Yeah. Um, what can I do kind of thing? Um and I think one of the quotes that I think it was, I don't really read like self-help stuff, but some, one of my friends made me like listen to one. Um, I think it's called like you are a badass. Oh yeah. Really I've, I've read, there's a book too. You yeah. are a badass. Yeah, I, read I, the book. I listened to the audiobook. Yeah. And one of the things um, she said in that was, um, you know, you being sad or upset about something doesn't make anything better. Yeah, it just makes you, you upset. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that helped me out a lot. It's like uh, just in life and in my career, like, hey, the client wants us to do one thing. I have no control over that. And it's like, okay, well, how can we still make it, um, you know, our own and make it better and work with what we have? Yeah. I don't know. That's great advice. That was Kevin, Danielle, and Brian. Hey, thanks for a great first 10 years, everyone. Be sure to tune in next week. When Navy SEAL entrepreneur, craftsman, hunter, Hollywood action movie star Andrew Arbido joins the show. Trust me, you are not going to want to miss this one. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you then.